Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality, sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chinookie. We acknowledge the Satuna, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Morgan, thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. Yeah. You take it away. This is about your story. All right. Um, yeah, so my story begins. I was born in Calgary. Um, and pretty early on in my life, I moved to small town Didsbury, Alberta, just north of, of Calgary, where I spent most of the, spent actually my whole childhood there. Um, yeah, growing up, I, I, I think like, for the most part, I always thought I had a pretty normal childhood, but now with my understanding of it now and I look back, um, not really. Uh, things mm-hmm. were, were a bit different. Um, I was, I'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, but mm-hmm. it kind of happened at such an early age that I kind of just blacked it out and mm-hmm. it went into this little black box with all my trauma and where everything went. And mm-hmm. yeah, and so I remember like the story of my addiction, like I right away started off my first addiction was probably a sex addiction mm-hmm. at like young four or five years old. Um, and at that time, I was also really struggling to kind of understand uh, what I would later know as be my gender dysphoria. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, being born male um, and kind of assigned that identity at, at birth. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of took a toll on me and, and like but when I was like that age I would like explore I'd wear dresses I'd mm-hmm. I'd play with like the girls toys or what traditionally feminine stuff and like yeah at, at that point like is it okay that there's a dog at yeah, your stuff? it okay. is totally okay okay he's really harmless like gentle he probably and harmless. just smells my Vietnamese sub very well he could yeah yeah <laughs> you um, could put that on the table if you like <laughs> yeah I mean there's just a sub in me. but yeah that makes um, sense that he was smelling some food yeah, it's, it probably smells delicious. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I uh, at that stage though, like my parents didn't think there was anything different because a lot of the 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 our family friends, their young boys of that age would would do that. It's a normal mm-hmm. stage of development to wear mm-hmm. dresses and try out and kind of figure out what your gender is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just like never grew out of that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I remember from a very young age, I would I would wish like oh. Wouldn't it be cool if I could like switch schools or pretend I was a new student and like I could like wear girls clothes and, mm-hmm. and all this stuff and then I could pretend and make up a name and I could be this person and, mm-hmm. and no one would know. 
Wouldn't that be cool? And I, I think also part of it, I just wanted to be someone else. I didn't want to be in my own skin. Um, yeah, and it was challenging to navigate because I kind of felt weird and like there was something kind of wrong with me um, with that. And yeah, kind of fell into the sex addiction. But like really also I had a fairly normal childhood other mm -hmm. than that stuff. I kind of like put that stuff to the side and put it in, stuffed it in that black box and mm -hmm. was like, this I'll never look at. Um, but how old were you, you think, you were when you stuffed it in the box? Like four, five, yeah. six, around that age. And just kept doing that. Yeah. Kept doing that, right? And I, I never grew out of the, mm. the, the, those phases. And I always, at a certain age, I kind of realized, or I thought, not realized, I thought that something was wrong with me. Mm -hmm. With like the, the wanting to wear a woman's clothes and stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, it kind of felt at a certain point where it wasn't, I wasn't supposed to be doing it. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the point I would start to do in secret mm -hmm. um, and all that. And yeah, but, but other than that, like I was a, I was a happy child. I very energetic. I had really bad ADHD when I was younger. And I think that sometimes um, got me in a lot of trouble too. I was mm -hmm. a pretty rebellious child. Um, yeah, very emotional too at a very young age. Very struggled a lot with dealing with my emotions. Um, and kind of was, I don't know, I kind of believed from an early age that, that I was sensitive and there was something wrong with me with that. And it kind of mm. just like all this, these layers of kind of invalidation kind of built up over yeah. time, um, with that. And yeah, I, I was really good in school though. And, and my family were like the, from the outside before my addiction, especially you just look like the average white middle-class family. Mm. You know, I had a pretty privileged upbringing. I, I had a lot of opportunities give, given to me and very fortunate with that. Um, but what my family's really good at doing was is pretending that everything was perfect and uh, putting on this image. Mm. And like, like my parents, like I love them, they're great people, but at the end of the day, they do have their own trauma mm. that they are working through and that kind of got passed down onto us. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like my mom was adopted and she had this big fear of abandonment always and, and that kind of got passed on to us mm -hmm. as well. And there was, it was kind of chaos in my house, just a lot of fighting and, and a lot of stuff that happened that, that as a child I thought was like normal, mm -hmm. but growing up and now in my recovery, I'm like, wow, that was kind of messed up. Like mm -hmm. that, that's weird. Um, but yeah, and uh, just grew up. And, and yeah, the, the sex addiction is really what, what happened and, and pornography. And then I started drinking when I was probably, I can't really remember. It's, it's, things are so mm -hmm. fuzzy back then, but I think it's somewhere between the age of 9 and 11 mm -hmm. when I started drinking um, because I was a curious child. I was, I, my parents both worked quite a lot and sometimes we were at home alone or I was just sneaky and, and good at that. And I was always... <laughs> kind of sneaky and, and good at doing that um, sort of stuff. And so, yeah, I would drink a little bit. It was a lot of just curiosity. And I, I um, yeah, like, knew it was something I wasn't supposed to be doing, so I would mm -hmm. do it. But I don't think it was – I mean, it was problematic because I was so young, but mm -hmm. it wasn't anything. But, yeah, and then pornography was a big struggle too um, with at that age. And it actually led um, – you know, because of my trauma and stuff, I actually – victimize another family member at a young age like mm -hmm. 10 11 12 that age and like I've held so much shame in that too and I, I put that in the black box and it mm -hmm. all kind of just went in this box that just kept stuffing things into mm -hmm. and 
and and uh, meanwhile I was like really not okay with myself and didn't know who I was and 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 uh, all that and so I was really lost and, and hurting um, and kind of started to develop a lot of this trauma and this self hatred for myself because um, I was just and I was just trying to cope with with the world and with mm. who I was and I didn't know how to deal with that and I was so young too and I felt ill-equipped I was dealing with such big things mm -hmm. that your that, thought life must have been intense yeah I couldn't talk yeah, to anybody the inner story hey. I didn't think I could talk to anybody I mm -hmm. thought with, the, with this thing with, uh, with the family member like I thought like there was something seriously wrong with me I was going mm -hmm. to hell I was um, going to jail I was like there's something wrong with me and, and yeah there was an issue going on but I needed help is what mm -hmm. I really needed and and at that age I had no idea that that was something that would be offered or mm -hmm. available or that I could work through this and I didn't know why it was happening and things like this and and yeah and so I remember that happened that stuff happened and I just kept shoving it down and I just said this isn't happening and I'm never going to think about this mm -hmm. I'm never going to this is never going to happen again and it just I will take this to my death these are my secrets and and uh, yeah, and then, you know, when I was in middle school and I was kind of like just stuffing all that stuff down and, and uh, really tried to fit in. And I didn't feel really confident with myself either because I was always fat growing up and, and I felt, um, not always actually, once middle school hit is when I started to kind of put on weight and, and I would be teased and some of my friends would make fun of me and I was really self-conscious at the time and and uh, just wanting to fit in, like mm -hmm. I would do anything to fit in. And so kind of even got involved with some friends that were like into like bullying other kids mm -hmm. and did some stuff that I'm, I'm really not proud of. And, and uh, yeah, cause I was, I was trying to fit in and navigate this world and, and started getting into trouble. That was the main thing before I even did drugs was like, I started hanging out with skateboarding and, and uh, getting into like vandalism and, and uh, hanging out with people we, would we found like an abandoned house where if the property was like for rent we would break into the house mm -hmm. and just drink in there and, and do do just dumb stuff because we're bored and it was a small town mm -hmm. too right small town in Alberta there's not a lot of people to do or people things to do um, at that age and so troublemaking was like this fun cool thing we weren't mm -hmm. supposed to do we weren't supervised a lot especially in that like in between age where there's not a babysitter and yeah, and so my friends started to, to do substances through that. I mean, I was already drinking a bit and I was kind of pushing the envelope with the drinking, mm -hmm. getting people to try a beer and, and like peer pressuring them into that. And, and then, yeah, my friends started smoking pot and, uh, you know, I was kind of curious into it and I remember being scared of it though, because I had this, such a stigma when I was a kid for my, my parents would really hammer it in. Uh, there's also like a lot of mental health and mm. schizophrenia and stuff in my family. So it was like, if you smoke mm. weed, you're going to go crazy. Yeah. This happened to this person. And, and so I was afraid of it. And so I actually um, kind of stayed away from it for a little bit. And mm. then when I was in, in, in the ninth grade, I was really curious with that stuff. I started vaping and, and all that. That was kind of a big thing because I'm pretty young. So that mm. was like the vaping phase and, and getting into trouble, you know, um, got suspended on a, on a band trip, got kicked off the band trip because I was vaping and, and drinking and stuff like that. And, and then the 10th grade, I actually switched schools. And because at this time, I, uh, this is when like things started, I couldn't ignore some things. And mm -hmm. so I started to question my sexuality. That was the main thing actually. 
And I actually had, like, back in middle school, I remember I, I, I thought, I took some quiz online and it said that I was, <laughs> I was bisexual. And I was mm. like, I remember thinking, no, I, this can't be possible. And shoved mm. it in that, put, put it away. Put and it then, in the box. Yeah, and then when I was in the ninth grade, I remember thinking, and it came back up and I was like, um, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm part of this community. And like, um, I, was, I was confused though, very confused. But I thought I was, I was bisexual. and Because and, I remember being like, there was kids going into the Gay-Straight Alliance. It was this mm -hmm. new thing in the small town that were doing this Gay-Straight Alliance. And I was like, I want to be in that room. Why do I want to be in that room? Mm -hmm. Why do I want to feel like, and I wanted to go somewhere I belonged. Um, yeah, but this whole time too, I was so toxic masculine. I was getting into fights and mm -hmm. like pretending to be someone I really wasn't. All so people would like me and to mm -hmm. hide who I really was. Um, yeah, and then I started kind of coming out as bisexual to my family, and, you know, the, the small town was kind of hostile, so I actually switched schools, and my, my father, my parents are both teachers, but my father taught in, in, in uh, another town, a larger area, yeah. uh, and offered to, we drive to school together, mm -hmm. and so I switched schools, and I thought it was my fresh start, I would come out, and that would be great, um, and then I went, and I was really uh, all the same stuff. I was I was just trying to be someone I wasn't, and and I thought I was going to explore my sexuality, but then I just I got in a relationship, like my first real relationship, you know, at like fourteen, fifteen, um, and, and and fell like madly in love. And this is where my codependency issues really started to take off when I I found this girl, and and she was. I found out later she was a pathological liar essentially she would make up all these crazy stories mm -hmm. about all this trauma she had and all this stuff um yeah and as a 15 year old this was like breaking my heart and really did a, a number on me um and that's when i really started consuming substances because i i found cannabis and and my friends were all doing it and then it was the thing to do um and so i started smoking weed and right away i remember when i smoked weed it was like wow I found something because I felt like my whole life I'd kind of been searching for some something, mm -hmm. something to like, some solution. I think it was something to fill the void. Mm -hmm. I felt like there was this emptiness that I needed. I needed something to complete me, and I thought it would be people or sex mm -hmm. or, or whatever it was, or food. And food was a big one too. Um, but yeah, like as long as I can remember, I've always been like that. And so when I found cannabis, it was the first time I ever felt like that void had been filled, mm -hmm. for a little bit. And then. Um, yeah, I'd start sneaking out and getting into more trouble, and and uh, and then and then I started after I smoked some cannabis. I was like, well, I want to experiment with more substances. This is awesome. Like I and I always thought drugs were this big scary thing, and and that they were awful, and it didn't make sense to me why people did them. And then I did them, and I was like, whoa. And yeah, and then my drinking usage, my alcohol usage, shot way up too because I realized. Um, that it would numb me out really well too. And, and so I started kind of experimenting with other things. And one of those things is being a young teenager was like over the counter cough syrup. And mm. I remember like a couple did it a few times and I ended up uh, one whole weekend. I, I binged essentially the whole weekend on it. And I ended up in the hospital actually, cause my mom found me in the basement. She came down and I was sitting in a pool of vomit. Um, cause I was so like, just out of it yeah and she was terrified she was like she must have been. oh my gosh yeah. what have you taken what are you doing she knew i had started using substances and there was 
my mental health was really bad too at the time. Like I started self-harming and, and uh, yeah, had been like really suicidal and, and she'd known that. Um, and I was, I was hurting so bad and I, I just, part of it too is I really just wanted attention. I wanted people to see what was going on with me and it felt like no one was, I was screaming and no mm. one was listening. Um, and yeah, and then when my parents found me like that, they were like, whoa, there's a problem here. And they were convinced I was an addict right away. Um, and I was convinced, no, I'm not. There's no mm. way I'm not. I barely even had done anything and I didn't want, because um, if I was an addict, that meant there was no privileges for me. I was going to get in trouble because they tried to really control it. Like mm. they, if they, I mean, they, some of it was for safety, for sure. Mm -hmm. They moved. I was had a room in the basement. They moved me to the upstairs, right next across mm -hmm. the hall, so I could couldn't sneak out anymore. I tried. It didn't work. <laughs> um, and like they would know if I was mm -hmm. maybe not okay and stuff like that. And so that was safety things. But then there was like privileges revoked and all that. And and so I got right away. I had to get really sneaky with my using. Mm -hmm. Like I had to pretend I was like clean, and uh, so I could use and get away with it so I would I would do all sorts of things or and that at some point my dad to because uh, I had a job at the time I was working at subway in small town and my dad kind of took over my bank account I willingly gave it over to him and was like hey I need help mm -hmm. managing money and and then when my substance use came up like stronger I was like oh I regret doing that because now I can't get all this money and so I would do things to like get money like I would, I would, I would sell my things or I would like, one thing I would regularly do is my dad would take out cash and give it to me to go. Like if I was like, oh, I want to go to the mall and buy this thing. Mm -hmm. And then he'd be like, you have to get receipts. If you don't get receipts, you're never getting any money again. Mm -hmm. And so I went and I would go and I'd go to GameStop and I'd buy a bunch of games. And then two weeks later, I'd come back, I'd return them and I'd do this kind of cycle. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, right away, like addict behavior like at like 15 16 mm -hmm. this is like wild stuff i'm doing because i want to get high and i didn't think it was a problem i just thought my parents were the problem and i wanted to get high and no one understood it mm -hmm. and when i th i thought to me that i was so enlightened too because i was that i knew that drugs were good and that they were just wrong about it and like to mm -hmm. some extent yeah there was a stigma that that they were kind of incorrect about and, mm -hmm. and all that but I was destroying myself. Like they were correct, um, but I didn't see it. And then actually, at at the end of the tenth grade, I had all these friends, and they were like, "You need to stop using, or else we don't want to be your friends." And I, I was like, "They're like, you're gonna hurt yourself." And I was like, "What? No, it's not that big of a deal. I just like to get high every once in a while." And they were like, "No, you got a bit of a problem." And and at that time, I don't think I was even daily using, but it was the relationship with substances was all I would think about. It was if I look at I looked at my old notebooks uh, like a year ago, probably when I was moving out, and it was like everything I wrote in them was about drugs or mm. whatever, and it was all this just obsession, like whether it was always using it or not, I was always scheming of ways to get more or whatever, and and I didn't have like as much money and regular access so I wasn't using every day but then all those friends they um they kind of yeah told me I needed to get get sober and if not they weren't going to be my friend and they all kind of ditched me a little bit and, and I uh it, that I remember hurt so bad mm -hmm. and I, I didn't know why but it hurt so bad that I felt so abandoned and so empty and I had one friend that didn't abandon me mm -hmm. um except for like one friend that I went to school with and then I had my my Didsbury using friends that were just like always there no matter mm -hmm. what because we get high together. 
Um, and that one friend stood by me that summer and I, I really was not okay and I was so suicidal and I, I was prescribed ADHD meds and that was the first time when I started abusing them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I started abusing them and I was like, just trying to feel numb. It was like any way I can get to feel numb, yeah. I will I will do it. Um, yeah, and then my cannabis usage was way up too and, and, and alcohol and just, just yeah. And, and it was my parents would do everything in their power at that time to try and stop me. And then I went into, yeah, uh, my junior year of high school and and uh, they they found out, well, I, I, in the end of the 10th grade, I had been, um, I've been trying to sell cannabis because I thought that drug dealing was the way because mm-hmm. I was like, I will get money. I will, I can do drugs for free essentially. Um, and I got busted actually at my dad's school with a, a lot of drugs. Um, and they suspended me. Um, and it really broke my dad too because he was the one who found me with the drugs at school. And, and yeah, so they also had oh, found man, out. That must be tough. Yeah. It, Morgan, I, yeah I remember wow. the, the ride home that day. I can't even imagine. It was awful. Yeah. Well, and he found it too. He knew something was up and he was the one who took me to his office mm-hmm. and was like, hey, give me your backpack. And I gave it to him and he opens it and it's, there and he's like well I said you're not gonna you're not gonna um tell anyone are you um and I he said no I won't um but he didn't know what he was gonna do he was about to cry and so I thought it was free and mm-hmm. then I went off on the day and then a couple hours later the vice principal came up to me and of course he, he did the right thing mm-hmm. right it was his job and, and it broke him but and at that time I was just like did not give a shit. Mm. I I was like, it's doesn't matter. It's your school. Like, who cares? It's just me doing this. And like, I could not understand or fathom like how other people felt about that. Um, yeah, and, and I started getting really angry too, and like, just not caring about people mm. and not just 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 not giving a crap and yelling and swearing, and, and it got more and more volatile. Um, and then they also switched me my medication um, to medication they thought was less abusable. I found a way around that, mm-hmm. and I was off to the races because they now had me on amphetamines, and I was like really using that. And, and that's and at that time too, I was I started dabbling with other uh, like psychedelics and and more party kind of drugs mm-hmm. and and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, and I would do. Th- crazy things and my parents would find out about them and I'd tell them I was going to get clean and I'd pretend to be and then I'd, the whole time I'd just be lying to them out mm-hmm. my ass and like like I ordered drugs from the deep web to my parents mailbox mm-hmm. and my mom found because I was sloppy I left a envelope from addressed from some random person in Quebec to me on but there was nothing in it but just that on my shelf and she put two and two together and figured out what mm-hmm. had happened and like she freaked out re- reasonably so and mm-hmm. And actually, I'd even, because I, I was underage, and, and to, to now, when you make a, a Bitcoin account, you need to have an ID to connect it to, and I mm. put my dad's ID for it, and he still mm. doesn't know about that one, mm. and I still have to talk to him about that. But I just, like, I didn't give a shit, was the mm. main theme here, was I just didn't care. Mm. Um, and I, uh, yeah, and I got in a, another relationship with, with this, this woman, this girl, and she, uh, I pretended that, like, I wasn't that bad like I, I just smoked mm-hmm. a little bit of pot and drank a little bit is what I told her yeah but the whole time I was 
high pretty much every time we were on there. On on like, um, yeah, just other things, harder things, and and she had no idea. And uh, yeah, and I was really struggling at that time to just mental health. It started to get worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to get violent too at that time. I started to get like my anger was uncontrollable. Mm-hmm. It was like zero to a hundred so quick. Like. And violent with my family and like abusive, like not proud of it, but I was very not a great person mm-hmm. at the time. And like, and I just pretended like that it was my parents' fault, that it was them, mm-hmm. them that, that they're the reason I'm getting violent. And sometimes my mom would get angry and violent too, but um, overall it was just, it really was just a complete lack of regard for anyone else. I didn't even care about myself at the time. I. And I hated myself so much because I remember there was this vicious cycle of violence that was accompanied with the substance abuse. Like I would, I would get just absolutely intoxicated and I would come home and my mom would be really hurt and broken and, mm. and she'd be upset that I was doing this and then she would yell and get in my face and then I would get violent um, and then it would all blow up. The cops mm. would be threatened to be called. Sometimes they would be. And then I would just kind of, it would but they kind of just would enable it and it would just Mm -hmm. keep happening. And I'd wake up the next day and I'd always be like, so much shame, so much regret, so much self-hatred for myself and like what I was doing. And then I would just numb that out with substances and it would happen all again. And I would just like, yeah, and I would like take my mom's alcohol right in front of her and drink wine and, and, and wine was the worst for me. I would just get hammered and just get angry. Um, yeah, and all my friends kind of were using a lot of substances at the time, but I was definitely the worst because mm-hmm. no one ever like wanted to all the time hang out because all I wanted to do at this point, like I wasn't even paying attention in school at all, was just get, just numb myself out mm-hmm. all day long and just hang out. Um, yeah, and, and then so I, I, I kept kept on doing that and the pandemic hit actually. I was in high school when the pandemic hit. That shows how young I am. Mm-hmm. Um and for me, it was like the best thing ever. I was like, wow, I can like, I don't have to worry about school now. Mm-hmm. I just can just use all day. And now all my friends wanted to do was hang out and use all day. Mm-hmm. And so in that period of time, it was like really bad. Like we got, that's when it got really, really bad. It was like a lot of use. Um, and like, I wasn't isolated though. I didn't feel isolated because I was always just hanging out with my friends and it was a mm-hmm. party and it was, and we were always hiding from my parents or hiding away and, and, and just doing dumb, crazy stuff. Like we were in a small town. And my friends at the time were very rednecky, very small town Alberta, mm. your average person. And I was like so not okay with myself. Um, and I didn't, at this time, I still didn't realize that I was trans and all this stuff. Um, it was still just being shoved down because the, the substances were working, they were mm. numbing that all out. Um, yeah, and then I, I, I sought help from psychiatry because I knew something was wrong. Like, I knew I needed help, and what mm. I thought was it was depression. I thought I had just, and I could blame it all on depression is what I kind of would do. is like, yeah. oh, I don't go to school because I have depression. Mm. I, have, I don't do anything because I have depression. I, I'm just medicating is the way I looked at it. Mm. And uh, so I went to the psychiatrist, and, and the psychiatrist, and I totally lied to him too because I wanted to manipulate him to do say the things I wanted him to say. Yeah. 
and to ex excuse me of any blame and and because he talked to my parents too and I wanted him to be like they were in the wrong they don't know what they're talking about so I told him that I just smoked cannabis and that was it and that that was because I thought he'd think it was fine um, and he told me no it wasn't actually that I was a substance I had substance use disorder mm -hmm. specifically cannabis use disorder and I hadn't even told him the full picture and mm -hmm. I was like I remember after it was on a Zoom call and he told me that and I, I walked off and I went to work at my job and I was walking on the way and I was thinking if that actually felt like it did. And at first I was like, he's totally full of crap. And then I was saying there, I was like, well, maybe he's right. Maybe I do have a problem with weed. Maybe I need to stop smoking weed. And so, and at the time my parents wouldn't also sign off on my driver's license and I really wanted my driver's license mm -hmm. so I could go and get freedom and do yeah. whatever. And so they said if I got, because the, the, the psychiatrist said if I got three months off of cannabis, he would be able to treat me and, mm -hmm. and, and see my baseline and all that. And so they said if I got three months, they would sign off on my driver's papers. So, and I had met a friend who was kind of in recovery at this time, who was older than me. She's like 22, 23. And, and she was a longtime stimulant addict. And uh, yeah, she was like, a good influence on me at first really good and she was like you know just do this just mm -hmm. get it over with just just quit using mm -hmm. for now and, and do this and uh yeah we'd hang out at her garage every day and and uh yeah and my friends still were smoking pot uh, she wasn't really in recovery at this time though because she was in actually about to full-blown relapse mm -hmm. on all kinds of things um but yeah, I, I stopped smoking pot and I thought like, okay, I'll be good. Mm -hmm. But when I stopped, like I tried to be sober for like four days and it got unbearable. Mm -hmm. It just got to the point where I was like, I can't do this. Why am I doing this? And also my grandfather passed away at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, all I want to do is go get high. Mm -hmm. And so I was still smoking pot and then... Um, for like a week and then I was like okay I'll actually quit I'll actually do this I don't like lying to all these mm -hmm. people and saying all this stuff and so I did but I right away was just drinking every day and, and using all kinds of different substances and like really took off with other stuff and was like but I'm sober from pot mm -hmm. and I was telling my family that I was just drinking because they were okay with that because they were like that's okay um but even though I was drinking way too much um and yeah, that summer was like really, really, that was the start of where it kind of all went bad. And, and, and my psychedelic use had gotten to the point where I was getting like really bad trips and side effects, but I was kept just using and was just like, oh, this is fine. I'll ignore mm. it. Um, and it kind of led to my mental state kind of deteriorating a little bit, um, or starting to deteriorate at this point. And then, yeah, and then I went into my final year of high school and I was like, okay, um, I stopped smoking cannabis, but then, you know, I was like, it was like September, like right before school started. And I was like, but I haven't smoked hardly any pot this summer. I need to smoke pot before mm -hmm. the summer ends. So then I went back on it way before I was supposed to. And then, and then the psychiatrist was like, well, if you get two weeks sober, we'll give you two more. If you give two mm -hmm. weeks sober, we'll treat you. Mm -hmm. Cause they, I think they kind of realized I was struggling with it. Yeah. And so, I, and I said, no, I'm not doing that. I said, I'm not doing that again. There's mm -hmm. no way. And I told my parents that I'd been using the whole time and they were, they were devastated. And, mm -hmm. and then this is where like my isolation really started. I, I stopped hanging out mostly with people. Uh, at school, I didn't talk to anybody. I would just, 
if I did go to school, I was just high mm. at school and I would go off on my spare or my break and I would just use and I would just sit in some park somewhere um, and just use and and really just isolating. And at this time, as I also started to get involved with some really sketchy kind of shady people mm. who were involved in more criminal kind of lifestyle um, because... I needed somewhere to go and winter was coming and I couldn't be outside all the time because I couldn't use it at home. So mm -hmm. I had to go somewhere and my friend's parents didn't want us there all the time. Um, sometimes they did, but, but, uh, yeah. And I didn't have a car. So I was like, well, yeah. I need somewhere to go. And my friend who would let us hang on our garage had, had run off to, to BC to go get sober because she found out she was pregnant. And I was like, there was nowhere for us to go. And so we, there was this person that I'd gone, who's same grade, same age as me, this guy who I could not stand my whole life mm -hmm. in school, but his family's big drug, drug user. So I was like, he asked us to hang out one time and his garage, I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so we started hanging out there more and I was like, this is where I want to hang out. And like, I didn't like the guy at all. I just mm -hmm. needed somewhere to go and use. Mm -hmm. And his mom right away, like I had these like bad feelings about it. His mom was just nuts, just absolute mm -hmm. nuts. And she was an addict. They were all addicts. like. Mm -hmm. And she was just nuts, though. Really manipulative and trying to, like, she'd try and manipulate my friends to get, like, their social insurance number because mm -hmm. she'd try and say that she'd apply for some Canada revenue thing for them for, for the COVID benefits mm -hmm. and all that. And, and my friends just just high out of their minds almost gave them and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And, and But I just ignored it. Like, I would just ignore that voice that something was wrong and was like, whatever. Yeah, and, and so it, this kind of culminated in, in me running away from home and right, right around, right after Christmas, and uh, I went to live with these people because mm. they said I could stay there as long as I would like. Because yeah. uh, they were, they loved me. They told me they loved me, and and they mm -hmm. were, they would always. I was the only friend that they would let me that over every day, mm. and I was like, great. They must really love me, and they appreciate me. And like, I would hang out with like his younger brother, who was like eight years old, and. Then they, I'd be hanging out at their house, and they'd be like, "Oh, it's chore day," and I'd help them clean up, and mm -hmm. I felt a part of a family. And at the time, I felt like my family didn't love me, and they didn't want me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was like, "Wow, these are people who accept me, whether I use or not, mm -hmm. and this is where I need to be. These are the best people. They're here to mm -hmm. save me and rescue me." Um, yeah, and then so. I gave them a whole bunch of money because they were going to get a bunch of substance from me. Mm -hmm. It was all my friends' money pooled mm -hmm. together. And they were like, this is what we'll do. Um, and then I, uh, I remember like I, I decided I'd go back home after like a week or so because I'd be like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to try to mend things over with my family and see how this goes. I think though after that, it was a big change. Like my parents realized like I was almost 18. They couldn't mm -hmm. stop me. I was just going to go and like, the kind of like them trying to stop me kind of stopped after that point. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then they said, they kept t saying, because I gave them this money that it was delayed or whatever, um, and just making up reasons. And really, they, they probably wouldn't just use the money, mm -hmm. obviously, now. <laughs> <Look at it. laughs> but then, and then I went to stay the next weekend over with them. And I was like, this is, this is uh, I'm going to stay over, and I'm going to hang out, and I'm going to take a bunch of drugs with this guy, like a whole bunch and it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, and it wasn't because he sexually assaulted me. Mm -hmm. uh, but right before he sexually assaulted me, 
he said to, and I was so intoxicated, I had no mm. idea what was even going on. He said to me, and this was the thing, this, these, this phrase changed my life for the rest of the course of my life. Mm-hmm. He said, I wish you were a girl. And that just like something mm-hmm. just, and it was the substances I was on too, and just something just like clicked. Mm-hmm. And it felt like I'd just woken up, but it was also the worst thing ever that I didn't mm-hmm. want to hear that. It was like, and, and then he assaulted me and it brought up all of this other trauma of, of, that I had. And like all of a sudden, all this stuff I had been like, welling up mm-hmm. was out and it was like he broke the box yeah, yeah. He, and like it, i think it, it was what needed to happen but mm-hmm. it was horrible in the way it happened awful way for it to happen yeah and i barely made it out of that house alive i remember i ran mm-hmm. out of there at like three in the morning and i pinged on my parents house and they i didn't even know what happened at that point mm-hmm. and and they let me in and they were like and for the first time my mom didn't yell at me she didn't say why you're high you're doing mm-hmm. this stuff she just knew something was clearly wrong and yeah. was like okay and I would like black in and out of conscious and start yelling things about all this stuff and I'd also realized at that time that those people weren't who they were pretending to be Mm -hmm. that they were grooming me because they were slowly convincing me to start doing more criminal stuff Mm -hmm. and and that I was getting involved with some people I really didn't want to and and that was a big wake-up call for me because I kind of realized in that moment that substances had put me in that position Mm -hmm. like my relationship with substances had made me so vulnerable and I would have never been around these people if I not. And my whole trust had been broken. I was traumatized. I was just like, I won't trust anyone again. And I got mm-hmm. really paranoid after that. And like, I couldn't walk home in the dark and I couldn't, in my small town, like I would start running. I'd have psych- like mm-hmm. flashbacks and almost like psychotic episodes. And, and so my using kind of slowed down a little bit mm-hmm. and I started to kind of try and work while still using through the trauma and talk about it. Um, but it started with me just telling people, oh, there's trauma, Mm -hmm. like acknowledging that it was there, not saying, and people being respectful of that. And I I met a friend through, she was the partner of one of my other friends. Um, and they're really good intention, really great people. Mm -hmm. Um, had, yeah, just have some stuff to work through, but I met a friend who's, um, transgender, Mm -hmm. older than me, like late Mm twenties. Like 26 probably when I met met her and I started talking to her and like just kind of really clicked and like mm-hmm. hanging out with her and talking about more trauma and she was a really great ally and a person I could go to mm-hmm. and like just be non-judgmental about like my using and everything mm-hmm. and like um, just hang out with and talk to and a safe person to work through stuff and I think that's kind of when I started to realize okay yeah I'm not a cis man. There's mm-hmm. something here. And so I came out as non-binary shortly after that and and uh, kind of was like, I'll see how that feels. Mm-hmm. And, and I was still going by he, him pronouns though. And I didn't really know what that meant. And it was hard for me to want to explore, try and explore that because my friends, my other friends were so hateful, so bigoted. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just didn't know how to do that. So it'd be like, I would talk to this person and mm-hmm. I'd be like, this is how I feel, actually feel. And yeah, and so I started to kind of try and work through that stuff. But at the time, then the when the trauma came back, it was like full force. And the substances weren't working anymore. That was the thing that happened, is it wasn't working. No matter how much I used, it wouldn't go away. Mm-hmm. Like, it would always be there. I mean, it would make it sometimes a little bit better. And I'd always rationalize that, like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not numbing it out. I just... 
because sometimes I would like get high and I'd still think about it. I'd be like, if I was numbing it out, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be thinking about it. I'd just be forgetting about it. But no, it was, I would feel better about it and I was still numbing it. Um, and it got really bad. Like the, the, the thoughts and the noise in my head got so bad to the point where I was like, and I was like, I'm never going to be able to deal with this trauma. I don't know how I'm going to work through this. And, and I, and I had been going to therapy like before, but for like a year I hadn't at all. Um, and, and I, uh, I got to the point where I was like ready to like end my life. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to try, I'm going to go, I'm going to go back to therapy. Cause I was, yeah, I just remember this. Like I, I was sitting on my back deck. I was home alone while everyone was at work or school. And I was just like planning to go end my life like I had this like worked out and I was going to do it and then this little voice told me really quiet and it was so quiet compared to all the other noise that like well maybe there's a different way mm. you haven't tried something and that is talk about this stuff and talk about the things I've done and talk about it and there's and then the voice was like well you can always end your life after mm. that's your way out if it goes badly, and so I, I, I worked myself out. I was like, I need to talk about this. Mm-hmm. I need to. I need to now or it won't happen. So I went into therapy, and I, I w- tried to tell a therapist, but I couldn't. So I lied mm-hmm. and made up some wild story, and she was, like, validating me. And then for two weeks, I went off, and I got it got bad. It was just as bad, and I was like, okay, I need to do this. And so I went in, and this was probably one of the hardest things I ever did. And I walked into a therapist's office, and I, before I even sat down, told her, hey, I need to talk to you about something. I need to talk to you about it now, because if I don't, don't it's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I just told her, and I just told her everything. And that was like the very first step to me, towards me, like healing and mm-hmm. finding recovery. Um, Cause I told her about the things I had done when I was younger and she was like, you know, I don't think of you any differently. In mm-hmm. fact, I have so much compassion and empathy for you and you wouldn't be the first person that's come to me with stuff mm-hmm. like this. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Here in my head, I had this whole narrative around mm-hmm. it. And so it started to kind of change the narrative. Um, and I thought that would help me. And, and so at that time I was like, try not to use drugs. And I was like, I'll just drink on weekends and, and I'm, I'm great. Like, I'm okay with this. Um, I don't need to, to get high every day. And so I was trying to kind of do school a little bit and try to like, I thought I was, I was on some sort of recovery journey. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, to me, it was a self-love healing journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I would drink on weekends, every time I would go out, I would like, even if I was out for like an hour, like I drink I was obliterated like way too much way more than anyone else would and um every day during the week all I would think about is the weekend and like can't this get over fast enough and then before I knew it it was Thursdays I was drinking Mm -hmm. and then after that I was like okay Wednesday morning I'm having a beer first Mm -hmm. thing and then I was like wow and so my drinking went way up and then uh and then uh one day suddenly someone was selling a substance I'd never used and I was like well I'm going to try this. Um, and I bought a bunch of it and I, I took it and, and three days I spent just binging. And, and I remember after the first night, I like drove out and got more and was like, I need to do this. And then by the fourth day, I woke up in a hospital mm-hmm. and I was like, what just happened? Like I have no memory after like the second day, just, mm-hmm. it just went blank. And I was like, wow. Um, and so I was freaked out after that a little bit, but then I, I remember like getting up, they were like, 
do you want to go home? And I was like, yeah. Because all I could think of when I woke up was just like, fuck, I need to get high. Mm. Like, and I was still intoxicated, but I was like coming down. I was like, fuck. Isn't that fucking crazy? Yeah. And I was like, I just turned 18 and this was like Mm. my reality. And I remember like walking, figuring out, like retracing my steps and like finding my vehicle, Mm. getting in the vehicle and going home and then just crashing. And, And I woke up and my keys were gone. And that was like, to me, the panic because that meant that my dad had probably taken them mm. and probably searched my entire car for every substance if I hadn't probably told him the night before because he mm-hmm. turns out he was the one who picked me up and took me to the hospital because I called him in a, like, I don't know, I just called him. And, in a blackout kind yeah, of Yeah, and he was like, yeah, let's go. Um, and so I just panicked. It was like my lifeline mm. was gone and I, like, was like, it felt like I was going to die and I was like, oh my gosh. And so... I started trying to like tell him, I was like, hey, can I have my keys back? I just, I'm not feeling okay after mm-hmm. what happened. I need to go talk to someone. The whole time I knew like exactly where I was going. I was going to go mm-hmm. pick up more. Um, and he was like, no, I don't buy your shit. And I mm-hmm. was like, what? And so like we had this kind of conversation and it slowly turned from like me trying to be all nice and manipulative mm-hmm. to like me just screaming and yelling. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't caving. He like was not caving because he knew exactly what was going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so I, I remember his truck keys were sitting there, so I grabbed them and I was like, well, two can play this game, give me my keys and I'll give you yours. And then he wouldn't do that. And so then I was like, well, you have a truck, I'll just take your truck and go and take it. So I jumped in his truck and I drove and I like slammed on the gas and like almost hit the vehicle parked across the street. And then he got in front of the truck and he said, you're not going anywhere. And I yelled that he needs to fucking move or I'll kill him. Mm-hmm. I'll run him over. And then I remember just like, it felt like almost like I was just like watching what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's fucking surreal. Eh? I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Mm-hmm. And and like, it scared me because it was like, mm-hmm. it had become an option. It was like, I wanted drugs so bad that like, I didn't care what was in my way. Mm-hmm. I would do it. And like, he just, to me, he wasn't even a person. He was just some object in the way. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the fuck? And I broke down and I was like, oh my gosh, I'll just, whatever. I'll just get high later. Mm-hmm. I'll just pretend to be nice for now and pretend things are working. And then I went to therapy that evening. I told my therapist what happened and I was in this brain fog and kind of near the end, I just all of a sudden felt this like lift, mm-hmm. this fog just lift. And I looked at her and I was like, I've, I have a serious problem. Mm-hmm. And she had been like skirting around it mm-hmm. for years. Since I was 16, I'd gone to this therapist and she hadn't told me that. Mm-hmm. She hadn't, she, she did a good job. because She mm-hmm. didn't tell me that because I think she knew I would be like, fuck you and I'd never go yeah. talk to her again. She wanted you to figure it out. And I was like, I have a problem. Mm-hmm. This is pretty messed up. And she's like, yeah. And I was like, I think I'm going to go to rehab. And so, yeah, I was like, wow, I'm going to go to rehab and I'm going to change my life. And then I tried to stay sober after that incident. Mm-hmm. And I got a good couple of weeks. But in those couple of weeks, I was a mess. Mm-hmm. I was just crying nonstop and and just like just lost and just. You had a lot going on, Morgan. Yeah. Just like didn't know where I wanted to be. And I was trying mm-hmm. to distance from my friends who used because like I knew they were bad news. and And then it just like. And then I was hanging out with a friend 
and we were in Banff and like, I remember him hanging out and it was so hard to hang out with these friends and not use substances. Cause mm. we were like, the goal was for us to go to Banff and stay sober because I was trying to be sober. And I remember him being like, well, this isn't that fun. Can we just, mm. I'll just smoke a joint. I'll just grab a joint. And then he's going to smoke the joint and I'm just like, and it's like, I could see the rationalization happening. Mm. I was like, well, you know, a couple of puffs isn't that big of a deal. I'm not going to die. Mm. And I had a treatment date already, but I was like, I'm okay. And so I smoked it. And, and before I knew it, like four or five days later, I had used so much prescription drugs that and drank so much that like my organs were burning and I was like mm. passing in and out of consciousness. I was out with friends and they were like, you need some help. Mm. They're like, this is fucked. Like, I'm glad you're going to rehab. And it was like four days before I was going to rehab. And I was just like, wow, I can't use like this. Mm. Every time I do this, I just end up like, and, and I should have gone to the hospital. Um, and I was just like, wow. And I broke down and I was just like, and so I went to treatment and it really helped. I went to uh, treatment for young men because I, I, at the time, was still not really sure where I was. I had come out as non-binary, but really mm -hmm. hadn't explored it at all. Uh, they're 18 to 24 and it's, it's a wilderness-based treatment center. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shunda Creek in Nordeg and it was honestly it was a really great time mm -hmm. I had a really great experience there but like I wasn't ready at the time I, I was still engaging in old behaviors you know as soon as I got there and I really really noticed that the other people were engaging in old behaviors and it really rubbed off on me mm -hmm. I realized how susceptible I was to like my environment mm -hmm. and like yeah, people like my within my first week, people were smoking nicotine patches and like mm -hmm. doing all this stuff. And, and and somebody offered me their prescription. I took it at some point, but I convinced myself I was still clean and mm -hmm. I hadn't relapsed because I did it once. And if I just pretend it never happened, it never happened because mm -hmm. no one would know because only this person from treatment would know and they're yeah. not going to tell anyone. Um, yeah, and I had a, a great summer there. Like I left high school early to go to this treatment mm -hmm. um, and I felt kind of felt really different than everyone my age because I was like, holy fuck, like everyone's here just graduating while I'm sitting in treatment. Mm -hmm. And I still got to graduate, luckily. Like I didn't walk across the stage, but my teachers kind of like passed me on through. And I got like mm -hmm. really lucky with that, that they knew that I had an issue and they're like, we're just going to help you get through this. Yeah. Um, and I actually even got into university because I just really good at bullshitting my grades in school like that. Um, and so my plan was like, I'm going to leave treatment I'm going to go to university and it's going to be great and I'm going to start a new life and I'm going to live on campus, which was the worst idea ever. Um, but it also, it wasn't maybe, it was the worst idea, but it also was because I was not ready. Mm -hmm. I remember like a week before leaving treatment, I was like, I'm going to relapse. And I kind of want to, but I kind of don't. But then I was scared of that. So I stayed like four extra days. But I, I, I kind of had this like, mentality that I was fixed like things mm -hmm. were and like I did a lot of great work I did a lot of great work it was a great first step spent 90 days there but I, I, I relapsed like 10 12 days after mm -hmm. getting out the first day of classes happened um, and it was it was so stressful going into that environment because like my first night on campus I remember going out for a cigarette standing outside of my residence building and all you could hear was people partying because mm -hmm. it was like frosh week. It was like, and there was people being taken out of ambulances and I was just like, this is really triggering. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not okay. But I found some like decent friends that were like supportive 
Um, but I relapsed so quick. I remember first day of school happens and I was just like, and I was so proud of the time I had. I had over like, I was 110 days and I was so proud and all my family was, and I think they kind of thought I was fixed too. And, mm-hmm. and then the, I was so stressed about school. And then I hung out with an old friend who like we used a little bit with, but I was justifying hanging out with her because mm-hmm. it was just a little bit. And we, she was like, oh, remember when we did this and that? And then I was like, yeah, let's watch all these old videos I have that I didn't mm-hmm. delete. And I watched them for like 20 minutes with her. And I was like, and it was, and those videos were so glorified because it was like, I never took out the camera when things were bad. Mm-hmm. And so people rarely do. Yeah. <laughs> it was all like, mm-hmm. and I was, these are my best memories from high school. How could I ever delete them? These yeah. are all my memories. Like all my high school memories were high. Mm-hmm. And so... I was like, this was so much fun. And we were laughing about it. And then she left all of a sudden. And I was sitting there and I was like, oh my God. And I, it was like new situation and I wanted something familiar. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to relapse. Like I'm just, mm-hmm. and I, I like made the decision. But it was like, once it clicked, it was like, there was no going back. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I told my, I texted my old using friend. I was like, hey, I'm going to be in town tonight. Do mm-hmm. you want to hang out? Didn't say I was going to use with them because at this far as he knows I was like we're not I'm not using please support me um and uh yeah I messaged him that and then I uh I remember I I went and I drove to the dispensary and the whole time there was this voice that was like you should just call someone Mm -hmm. just call someone you've you can call the treatment center you can call your parents you can call this person you call that person and I was just like no Mm -hmm. like no I don't want them to stop me I don't want them to say something that could change my mind. Mm-hmm. And so I went and I, I picked up and then, and then I put it in a drawer for four hours while I waited. And my brother came in to drop off because um, I actually had left my NA tag, my 90-day tag at, uh, at their house. And he uh, dropped it off because he was in the city anyways. He was like, here you go. And I was like, I remember... Like, just putting it away and, like, I don't want to look at that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think I put it in my pocket, actually. I was like, I don't even want to look at this. Uh, and I, when he was there, he was like, he could tell something was wrong. I think he knew I was going to relapse. But he was like, hey, I'm here for you. And I just told him to go. And so and then as soon as he left, I got in my car and I drove straight back to my parents. Or not to my parents, sorry. My hometown. And the whole the whole way there, too, same thing. Mm-hmm. You can stop at any point. You don't have to do this. And it was like, no, I want to. And so I drove back, and and I went, and uh, I walked into my using friend's house, and I looked at him, and I said, hey, I'm going to, to use, and you're not going to stop me because mm-hmm. I'm already going to do it. And the first thing he said was, well, I've already got it, like, already. Mm-hmm. Like I was just about to get high myself, mm-hmm. and he knew I was coming over, mm-hmm. and I was just like, "Wow!" Um, and I that the the guilt and shame after that, and he was living with one of my other friends who was a really good friend who didn't use so much, mm-hmm. and she was already sick of his shit, um, and she came home and she was like, "What the fuck's going on?" Because mm-hmm. I came downstairs and I was like, "Hey, I've relapsed. I don't feel good about it. I don't know what to do." And then I went to her fridge and grabbed a beer right in front of her, and, and she just fucked her up. She's like, mm-hmm. you just told me you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. You've relapsed. You feel bad about it, and then you're just going to keep doing it? Mm-hmm. But she didn't 
kind of understand and, For and, sure. and so doesn't make sense to her, but yeah. yeah. And, and so, yeah. And so I relapsed and, and I was just like smoking pot and drinking for like the first month of school. And I was like on and off and I would try Like I would try to like go to meetings like once in a while. And I would like, have just like, yeah, I want to get better. And I'd be like, mm -hmm. I'd spend like the whole week like doing well. And then the weekend would come and I'd be like, fuck it, I'm doing mm -hmm. it. And then I was, but I was like kind of wanting recovery still. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know how to do it, and uh, and then I I convinced myself that I needed stimulant medication for school again because mm -hmm. I wasn't doing well in school. But the reason I wasn't doing well in school is because I was on and off relapsing, um, and yeah, my my ADHD being untreated was kind of challenging. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's other ways, and and so I went to this doctor, and I remember being like, "It's fine. I don't want to get high. I just want school support with school," mm -hmm. and. I remember telling the doctor when he asked me if I had any substance use uh, issues in the past, I said, oh, absolutely not. And he just mm -hmm. wrote me this prescription and I went on my way. And like four days later, I, I used a dose that I used to use. Um, and I thought I was okay. And then I remember getting into psychosis, I was like freaking out, um, thinking there was people out to get me and under my car because I was sitting in there having a smoke. And then, um, yeah, really feeling like not okay, I remember. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I had all these new resources from treatment, so I called the addictions hotline and I was like, hey, this is what I'm experiencing. I don't know what to do. And mm -hmm. I'm just like having a panic attack. And they were like, um, you need to go to the hospital. You're experiencing a stimulant overdose. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I'm not. They're yeah. like, like this is what it normally feels like, but not this strong. They're like, no, this is a stimulant overdose. Mm -hmm. Like you're not gonna. They're like, you're not gonna die right now, but like, you need to get to the hospital mm -hmm. just so you can like get some support. They mm -hmm. should especially don't don't use anything more. Just mm -hmm. just get to the hospital. They're like, do you have a friend? Like, you don't need an ambulance. It's right. The foothills is right nearby. You don't need that. Do you have a friend that's up? It's like six in the morning that can drive you. And I said, yeah, totally. And then I drove myself mm. to the foothills and I walked in there and I was like, I'm a recovering addict is what I told them. Mm -hmm. And they kind of laughed at me and I felt all weird about it. And, mm -hmm. and, but the reason I had used that day, I mean, it was coming when I got the prescription, mm -hmm. but was cause I had another friend who was wanting to be sober. And I was like trying <laughs> to force him to stay sober by hanging out with him all the mm -hmm. time. And he relapsed that night because I had spent the night with a girl and he relapsed and I felt so mm. abandoned or upset about him. Like he was mad at me or, or I thought it was like, yeah, all about me mm -hmm. and, and it just so much pain and I just wanted to end my life. And so I, I used that dose, not necessarily to end my life, but to just numb out. And um, I went to the hospital. I told them that. I like, I told them everything. Cause I was like, I need help. Mm -hmm. That's I and, and, and I've been in I've been in and out of hospitals before, and never got full help. Mm -hmm. But this time I was like, I need to be honest. I need to be upfront, and this is how I feel, and this is why I did this. And they were like, Oh, okay. And so the doctor came in to see me, and then they sent a psychiatrist. And I was like, Oh shit! They're like actually wondering what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then another psychiatrist, and I was like, What? And they're like, Hey, we're gonna. Do you want to go to a short stay psych ward? And I was like, no way. Mm -hmm. But then 
my dad because they called my dad. And, and, and he called me back. He's like, hey, it's only like a few days. Because I thought mm. short stay was like 30 four weeks. Yeah. Or like, yeah. like, I'm like, no way am I doing that. Mm. And so I, and I went into the psych ward. And then that's where they told me that I had borderline personality disorder. Mm. And I kind of thought I had it before because I had a friend who had it and we mm. talked about it. And that, to me, was so validating because I thought I had mental illness. Or I, I, thought, I knew something was wrong beyond mm. the addiction piece, but I didn't know what it was. And to hear someone be like, no, this is what you have, mm. um, I was like, wow. And so, yeah, and that marked a, a real big change. Um, because I had this new diagnosis that allowed me to do that. But I also feel like I, I've identified with it too much. I was like, oh, now mm. I can blame things on it. And after that, things just still got even worse just because I was in so much pain. And I it just continued to just party and use and actually not even party that much. Like it was just me mm. most of the time. And, and uh, yeah, and I... Um, I started going out to like nightclubs. I'd never really done that. Mm -hmm. And uh, experimenting more with like, I'd paint my nails and like wear some like eyeshadow and all this stuff. And I was really going through this big like emo punk kind of phase. <laughs> and I was like using a lot um, more than I ever had and just like out of control. And I was in this relationship and it was so codependent and so bad because she just wanted me to be sober and I just wanted to get fucked up and then I ended up just hurting her and being so on and off with her and uh yeah and then November I started selling my possessions again mm -hmm. and um I was like anything I could do to get high and to get more because I had I decided that you know I had tried coke before a year before but I was like I'm gonna try this again this is a thing I want to try again and so I got big into cocaine like right away like I remember like I did it and it was like all I could think of every waking moment was cocaine mm -hmm. and it would, the word would repeat in my head and like everything and so I was like selling all my possessions like I sold my PlayStation to like one of my best friends someone who said they were my best friend for coke and like I started thinking of like oh crap I need more ways to get money because I'm a student I'm student loans I'm broke I can't afford to party like mm. this and it was unsustainable and I think that was a blessing because that unsustainability gave me periods of like where I had to be slightly sober mm. or like more sober um, but I still would always be high on something but um, where I could see like okay this needs to get better. Or I need to at least try to manage this usage. Otherwise, I'm not going to have money to use. Mm -hmm. And so, and I was failing. I was almost going to fail some of my classes that I was in for school because I wasn't even doing them. And so I decided, you know, I'm going to drop out of school. And in, the, in December, I was like, I remember telling myself I could go back to treatment. I was going to pursue it in a couple weeks. But I was just going to see if I could do it on my own. But doing it on my own wasn't doing anything. It was just like my excuse to keep using and rationalizing. Oh, tomorrow or next week or whatever, I'll go and I'll do this. And so, yeah. And it, it just, and things were getting bad again with my family at home. And they didn't even really want me at home anymore. It was mm -hmm. this kind of like, I realized all my options were kind of just 
dwindling like really quickly and like I was really not okay um and I hit a point where I was just just done just sick and tired of, of living that way and just being so drained mm -hmm. physically emotionally mentally spiritually everything it just felt bankrupt and and like empty and um and things weren't getting better and and so I, I kind of hit a point where I was like, I dropped out of school. My friend got me this job framing and I, I hadn't started yet, but I was like, sweet, I can make good money for me at the time. I thought mm -hmm. that was good money and I could party. But then I thought about it. I was like, if I get this framing job, I'm going to be fired within a week or two. Mm -hmm. Like there's <laughs> no way. Like partying the way I party is like, I don't know. I was never really good at being <clears throat> functioning like that mm -hmm. with the job. Like, I'm sure there's people who do it, but, like... For sure there are. Me, it's just, like, my mental mm -hmm. health just deteriorates and I'm doing crazy stuff and, like, not mm -hmm. doing a good job and I get fired right away. And so I was like, well, that's not really an option. I mean, I could try that, and, you know, because my parents basically said, like, now that I wasn't in school, I need to find somewhere else to live and all that. I was like, well, I could go live with them and try that and, like, really fall into a deep, dark hole and like lose the job and eventually they're going to kick me out and then I'll probably float around for a while and I'll good chance I end up homeless or something mm -hmm. if I don't do something. It's like, well, that sucks. And, 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 and uh, I was like, well, I don't really want to do that. That kind of sucks. But part of me kind of wanted to try to make using work. And mm -hmm. like, I was like, I know I can't afford Coke. Like, why don't I just start smoking meth and mm -hmm. that'll be my solution. Um, but I, I kind of, this piece of me was like, that's, I don't know. I was like, and then the other option was I could kill myself. That was like mm -hmm. the big other option. Because it was always something that I'd like kind of romanticized and was mm -hmm. like this escape. Um, or I could try to get clean again. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think like having been clean already for a t period of time mm -hmm. had like shown me that like, life could be so much fucking better mm -hmm. and like and, and it was hard after treatment to use because every time you use it be so aware of like what you're doing it's just mm -hmm. like fuck like why am i doing this mm -hmm. why am i doing this um and you beat yourself up but then i was like okay i'll try to get clean i'll i'll try i'll go to treatment again i'll go back mm -hmm. and i'll see what'll happen and and like also a big thing that helped me with that is one of my using friends i remember was sitting in my room one day and I was using and he, he looks over at me and he's like, like we aren't saying anything, mm -hmm. but he just suddenly looks at me. He's like, maybe you should go back to treatment. Mm -hmm. He's like, like, like how did this happen again? <laughs> and, and that really also opened my eyes that, Oh crap. If he thinks I have a problem, I must have a problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I went back and I was really kind of hopeless. I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. Like, am I just mm -hmm. tricking myself? Am I just going to do this all over again? I can't take another relapse. I was mm -hmm. like, I can't do this. And so I remember thinking like, this is going to be really hard. Like the first time I did it, I thought it would be easy. Mm -hmm. No, it was not. And, and so like, there's a really high chance that I do relapse. So I need to like t do everything in my power to make it. So my chances of success are better. Mm -hmm. And so things like, like at treatment, it wasn't a 12 step treatment, but any suggestion or any optional thing I could mm -hmm. do, I did it. And like right away I got back on my self-care and I was like came and, and also the group there was different. The group dynamic was 
people who had really fucking hit the point where they were like, yeah. I am so done with drugs. I don't want to talk about yeah. it. I don't want to think about it. Let's just like focus on the solution. Mm -hmm. Because like the first time it was all glorifying and talking, it was like yeah. summer camp for addicts. And like, um, yeah, so let's focus on our solution. And, and so that was their big thing. And it was really good environment for that. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and I remember I, I came out as non-binary and, and I was going by they, them pronouns at this point, I remember. And I was like, these are my pronouns. And I was learning how to like assert that. Mm -hmm. um, and I was starting to explore more with like, yeah, nail polish and stuff. But I, I didn't really explore clothing and expression because I was in treatment. And I didn't mm -hmm. have access to all that stuff. Um, but I kind of experimented with just like the way I was thinking, the way I was referring to myself, stuff like that. Like when I was doing affirmations, I'd be like, I'm strong, I'm powerful, I'm beautiful, I'm a badass bitch. Mm -hmm. And that was like, wow, that feels really good. Why does that feel really good? Because um, you're a badass bitch. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. And, and I remember yeah. the one morning I was in treatment and I was, there's a shared bathroom and I was, uh, standing at the mirror saying that it was like early no one was awake and then one of the staff and just got out of the staff shower and he was like he just poked his head and he was like yeah you are um <laughs> and he was like this is the funniest thing ever um and it was a very supportive environment mm -hmm. that treatment center the um, the clients are given they're not always great but the staff great absolutely yeah. lovely um and like really trying to help me navigate that and mm. uh and, and, and yeah, and I really dug deep and I, I started more opening up about the trauma with the therapist there mm -hmm. too and like talking about that. Um, and I did everything there. And I was also exposed to, the first time I went to treatment too, I was exposed to indigenous culture. I'm not indigenous, but mm -hmm. exposed to sweat lodges. We had an elder that would come out mm -hmm. smudging. That was the first time I smudged ever. Um, and it was wilderness based. So it was very connected with the land and, and nature and and that really resonated with me. In my whole life, I'd been like fairly, not my whole life, I've been fairly atheist as in like my mm -hmm. teenage years because my parents kind of tried to push religion, not super hard, but a little mm -hmm. bit on us. And I was like, no way. But like when I found this, I was like, wow, I like really believe this and it resonated mm -hmm. with me. And I found it really healing too. And, and we did fasting. And I remember that actually the second time I went to treatment, I fasted. And you just pray and you don't eat and you don't drink. You just pray and drum and, and, and like, the second time was so profound. I remember it. I was drumming outside on the last day of my fast and it was like, I felt like a woman. Like I was like, mm. this is just, and it felt like it was like spiritual. Like it was on a spiritual level that I, this is who I was. And I just was drumming and mm -hmm. I was like, I wasn't wearing women's clothes. I wasn't wearing, I was just like mm -hmm. there and I was drumming and I was like singing and I was like, wow, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And it felt like it was like given to me. Like this mm -hmm. is the guidance I have for you. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because before the first time in treatment, I remember thinking, what if I am trans? Mm -hmm. Like that's scary. Like, what if I have to do take estrogen and, and surgery and all this? And I don't have to do any of that. But it was like, mm -hmm. life's going to be hard. How are people going to respond to this? What's going to happen? Mm -hmm. And the second time, I was like, no, okay, I am. And mm -hmm. it's okay. And so I changed my name in treatment because mm -hmm. I thought that was the best time to do it because I was going to be a new life, new starting people. Over, yeah. and starting over and changed my name. Um, 
Yeah. And then once I left treatment, I started going by she, they mm -hmm. with some friends. So, because my one friend who's really supportive would always try and sneak in a little she or mm -hmm. a her to see how it felt. So just a little, just that was she, a great way to do it. And I yeah. was like, every time I'd hear it, I'd be like, I feel good. <laughs> this little like smile, I'd be like, mm -hmm. this little smile. And I was like, wow. <laughs> and so then I started like experimenting with wearing different feminine clothes, uh, a little bit of makeup. And I was like, wow, I feel so euphoric, so good. This is great. And I basically was like, okay, yeah, I know what's going on. Mm -hmm. This has been a big missing piece. I'm a trans woman. And so I told my parents that. I remember that was an awkward conversation. It feels like the, the weird thing is the non-binary thing is easier for a lot of people mm -hmm. to grasp because yeah. they think like you're still going to be like relatively the same. Yeah, you're still going to be straight somehow. Yeah. yeah. And so then I was like, no, I'm, I'm trans. And they're like, are you sure? Like, mm. um, I think they're just uncomfortable with it. They don't know how to deal with it. But they're trying to be supportive at the time. <clears throat> well, and parents don't want their kids to suffer, right? Yeah. Life's yeah. going to be hard for trans yeah. people. Yeah. And so I told them I was going by she, they pronouns. And mm. they basically heard they pronouns. So... They were still working on that mm -hmm. one, but uh, my one sister's better at it. My sister's pretty good at it. She's 17, mm -hmm. and she's she's pretty good with it. I she uh, she calls me her sister, which is mm -hmm. important to me. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and so I came out, and I, I was like, this is me. And I was still, because I moved back with my parents, and I was still mm -hmm. living in the small town. So I would, like, <laughs> dress more feminine. I'd go out, and I'd, like, be so paranoid. I remember mm -hmm. the first day I ever went in public dressed feminine, with some makeup on, I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna have a panic attack. Mm -hmm. And like, I told my friend, cause she worked at Subway still, the one I worked at, I was like, I'm gonna meet you there and I'm gonna show you me. And like, I remember like looking both ways, being like, oh, someone's gonna hate crime me. Mm -hmm. No one did. I got some weird looks in the mm -hmm. Subway, but it was like, oh, okay, I can do this. And mm -hmm. then it started doing that. And, and at the time I'd wanted to move to Calgary because um, I just wanted to get out of the small town. Mm -hmm. And, um, but things kind of didn't work out the way I wanted them to. And so I was in Didsbury for a small amount of, uh, it was actually a couple months in the end. And so I needed to start doing that. So my mom very generously would drive me into the city once a week mm -hmm. to go to the queer meeting. And that's where I would start kind of dressing my way mm -hmm. and doing that. And I was like, this is, and I remember the first time I went there, I was like, wow, there are people like me. Mm -hmm. I'm not weird. I'm not this. I'm not that. And like sober people, like people in recovery, like mm -hmm. healthy people. And like, to me, it was huge. And it was like, wow, this is amazing. And, and young people too. Cause I was like mm -hmm. 18 at the time. I just turned 19 actually. And I like young person in recovery, young trans person. And I felt so different, mm -hmm. but I wasn't. And I realized that cause I saw other young people, queer people and mm -hmm. I was like wow that's cool um yeah it's more and more today than ever yeah I know it's it's wild yeah. I'm meeting a lot more it's amazing a lot more cool people like that mm -hmm. too um it's a beautiful transition for those of us who've been around for a while to watch a change to yeah watch. I can I can imagine oh. it's like well, even I think when I was younger, like transgender mm -hmm. wasn't a thing that we talked about. Like no. once I was like probably like 13, 14, like mm -hmm. you started to hear about it, but it was always in this lens of it was like this weird. It was always sexualized thing. in my, 
yeah. my learning was always sexualized. Yeah, that it's all about sex yeah. and all this, but it, it's not. For me, it's it's an identity. Mm-hmm. This is who I am, and um, yeah, it's been so healing to do that and to transition. And and so and then I moved to the city, and I was still kind of what we call boy moding it every once in a while. Um, because I still had all these men's clothes, and mm. I was still scared to just let go yeah. and just fully embrace it. And it took time. It, it, it took time. And it took time to be able to see myself as, as a woman and to not be like, oh, I'm just a man hiding in, in girls' clothes. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm just some weirdo. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I really started to find community, too. I started doing some, like, outreach, volunteering, too, and, like, giving back and, like, I realized, wow, I really love helping people and I mm. want to help people like me. And I was going to a lot of meetings and I was working the steps and, and got a sponsor and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. And then one day I just remember being like, I'm throwing out all my men's clothes mm-hmm. or I donated them all. Like I'm getting rid of them. I don't care. I'm, t- mm-hmm. I'm cut it, taking the bandage off. And then I was like, oh crap, now I have no clothes. And But then so many generous women, like my mom's friend even, mm-hmm. and like other people gave me clothes. I have barely bought anything. Oh, that's bad. It's all just been like that. Yeah. Helped a trans person in need, which is crazy because it's like, yeah, there's so many, it's so expensive to transition. And that's there's a much like, different story now than before, eh? Yeah. Where people are helping you, giving you clothes, whereas 10 years ago. It would have been like, yeah. That's weird. Yeah. What are you talking about? It's really hard for folks to get their head around it. Yeah, well, and they always yeah. offer it, too. They're so nice with it today. That's cool. Yeah, and then I, like, I still have, like, I, I start to have, like, instances where, like, yeah, people would stare at me in public. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember the first time I'd be, like, sitting on a bus, or I'd sit next to, like, a mom and her kids on the bus, and, like, once I sat down, then about 10 seconds later, mm-hmm. they'd get up and move. And, like, I also came to the conclusion that, like, that's not about me. Yeah, That's totally. about them and, and the, the way their worldview and the way that things have happened in their life. Mm-hmm. And they're also just trying to keep their kids safe and they don't understand me. Mm-hmm. It's not about me. But it's hard sometimes not to make it about yeah. me. And I get, like, sometimes men would stare at me and, and mm-hmm. like, because they would, like, look at me and then they give me, like, the up and down and there's, like, this confusion at mm-hmm. first. And then sometimes there's this, like mixed sense of like anger sometimes it's like a curiosity desire you can kind of tell and it's like Mm -hmm. it's bizarre and then yeah and I really liked attention from men when I first transitioned because I found it very validating to go on like dating apps Mm -hmm. and like be like and it totally my addiction was totally just going like wild with validation and attention Mm -hmm. in another way and like um, men would be like on dating apps, at first, they were either awful or, like, really gross. And at first, I liked the, like, sexual comments. But then I was mm-hmm. like, this actually feels really gross. And they don't see me as a human. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm an object. I'm a object of, of, of yeah, just, and it was kind of gross. Um, it feels really gross. Yeah. I'm over here listening. It, it feels it really is gross. Because yeah. it's just, like, and like you're the best of both worlds, or even way worse. There's, mm-hmm. like, way worse than that. Can't even imagine. Um, and so I, I, like, tried to get off of that. Um, but I still, like, wanted to explore, like, a relationship with a man. Because, like, mm. I felt like this had been a part of me that had been denied because I was, like, not okay with what I thought was my bisexuality at the mm-hmm. time. And so I did that. I hooked up with this random guy from a dating app. Honestly, very unsafe. At 3 in the morning, mm-hmm. he picks me up in his car. 
I had my friend though, the one safety measure I had was my friend knew where I was going mm. and I was texting them every 20 minutes and I was like, I'm okay. And it turned out to be all right. Like I'm lucky to have gotten out of that clean and alive. Mm. Um, but I felt like really weird after that interaction with a man. I was like, um, I don't know if I actually liked that. Like, mm. and I think part of it was just the way it was. And, um, I started to occupy more like sapphic spaces, like more like uh, woman loving woman, lesbian mm. kind of spaces. And I joined like a book club, I remember, and I met these these great ladies and they started talking to me and they were like, I was just sharing about how I felt and they were like, yeah. And they basically like whispered something in my ear mm. and like <laughs> it like changed my whole opinion and then I started to realize that I didn't actually like men and that this had like because when I said earlier and when that I, you didn't have to like men yeah, yeah and because I felt obligated to mm. this obligated heterosexuality is what mm. they were talking about and I was like yeah but and, and then so and I think because back to when I was like 14 and I was like I must fit into this community somewhere mm-hmm. and like I did. I just didn't know where. It was confusing mm. because I didn't know I was trans and it was mm. all this stuff. And I always resonated with the term gay. And I, when I was little mm. I was, or younger, I was like, lesbians are so cool. Mm. Like, I wish one, I, I could have a best friend that's a lesbian. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, wait, this makes so <laughs> much sense. Um, right on. So, but it, looking back, there's a lot of those things with transition mm. that I'm like, huh. I was in grade eight letting girls do makeup and like making up stripper names or whatever mm. pretending like doing like basically doing drag in like mm. middle school for people being like it's just a joke mm-hmm. um but like yeah looking back on it it all adds up to this like picture of like who i am mm. and i'm like wow that t- tells me so much yeah. um yeah and i really like embraced recovery too at this time like i was really active in in in, in recovery fellowships and stuff like that and it was great it's it, it's it was like and once I started, the queer meeting really helped me in that it helped me realize that I could be myself in these spaces. Mm-hmm. And then I realized like half the people that went to the queer meeting were half the people at another meeting. So there's allies mm-hmm. there. So I'm okay. And that's like the number one thing I think that's I've learned is like, you got to find your allies. Mm-hmm. Like I can't go into a space. Uh, I mean, now it's a little easier, mm-hmm. but it's, it's hard to be visibly trans or be trans in a space without having identified allies. And to mm-hmm. be queer even, like, it's like I need to know where my allies are and what mm-hmm. makes me comfortable. Um, and even just one person. And sometimes, like, I don't actually know if someone's my ally, but it's me mm-hmm. just, like, thinking, oh, this person seems like this way um, and, like, gravitating towards them. Um, but, yeah, and so I started to, like, be fully myself in every meeting. Mm-hmm. And I was like, something I never thought I would do. And I like was doing that and I was like, wow, this is so freeing. And it was, and it was just like to be myself 24 seven and to not hide at certain times was so freeing. And I realized I belonged in, in recovery because I was an addict and that's all that really mattered was I was an addict. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I found so much belonging and, and stuff in that, and just this this whole yeah, it was just super cool. And it's and mm-hmm. the the coolest thing I'd say about transition is it's like 
yeah, it sucks. Like being trans, like kind of sucks. Mm. Like no one wants to, I mean, I don't really know if I resonate with the being born in the wrong body anymore. Mm. I just feel like I was born in a body with dysphoria and like not connected with that. And yeah. And I was born into a society with the wrong ideas about gender too. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of it. It's very societal. I think and they have very rigid ideas. Yeah. yeah, but like at the end of the day, the coolest thing about it is there's a couple things. One of them is that sense of freedom. I feel like I can wear whatever the fuck I want. Mm-hmm. I can do whatever I want. I can be whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have to fit in a box. Like I feel like I've totally broken out of the gender binary. Mm-hmm. And at first though I wasn't that way because I was like now that I'm a trans woman I got to mm-hmm. do all of this stuff. I'm 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 a woman so I must be like this, wear this, do that. And then now I've like there's a nuance to it. I can like explore masculinity within that mm-hmm. because everyone's like that and that doesn't take away from who I am. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so there's this like immense sense of freedom, and I think that's a really cool thing that trans people show other people too. Mm-hmm. Is like you can be whoever you want. Yeah, and it's also this this sense of like becoming. I think like, that's what scares people about trans too. People yes. that are scared is because it does show them that you can be whatever you want. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, actually, really good point. There's a lot of people, I f- I feel that are, have been told their whole lives that they must fit inside mm-hmm. this box. They must conform. And they tell, they tell themselves that, that they must mm-hmm. be a certain way. And when the trans people don't listen to that, or mm-hmm. even just queer people or whoever, yeah. it, it brings out this, this sense of uneasiness in them because, mm-hmm. yeah, it reminds them of that. And it, it, you're totally right. That's definitely a lot of what it is. Mm-hmm. And so the way I found, the way out, I think, from that kind of this hatred and all that stuff is to love and embrace those people mm-hmm. and to be like, you can be whoever you want. Um, yeah. It's hard to do that sometimes, oh, yeah. to be so loving. But I think like the, 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 me, I could get so much more mad at so many more people. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes I can be really mad at the world. Yeah, for sure. And rightfully so. Yeah. But at the end of the day, love to me is the answer out of mm-hmm. all of that. Like that's my... That's my number one thing. It's just love. It's like, to me, the highest order. Mm-hmm. It's my higher power in a way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, and the other thing is the sense of like becoming, this transformation, mm-hmm. this creation of like, I can create, I'm literally actively creating myself. Mm-hmm. And like now I started hormones uh, back a few, four months ago. Mm-hmm. And like, that's been this really interesting, yeah, creating myself and mm-hmm. like, finding that and like finding this alignment. Like I'm at a point with my transition where it's like, wow, I can see myself in the mirror and like, mm-hmm. this is me. And like a lot of people like have accepted it. And like, just like, I just kind of show up as I am and like people kind of know I'm trans mm-hmm. or they don't and they think I'm a cis woman. That rarely happens, but that's nice when it does. Mm-hmm. But like I just show up wh- how I am and I don't always like put it in people's faces because I don't have to anymore. Before yeah. it felt like I really had to affirm my gender and get it in there. Yeah. And it just like people are just like, oh, yeah, that's cool mm-hmm. for the most part. They're like, mm-hmm. okay, whatever. Um, and it's been really cool. And there's been like a lot of really challenging times, uh, especially like just in my recovery where I've been in active in like other addictive behaviors mm. and to try and numb all of it and, yeah. and like really depressed. But at the end of the day, I just, I keep coming back to like my recovery and 
just like what I can be grateful for. Like I have so many things to be grateful mm-hmm. for in my life now. Like I never thought I would ever be on hormones, doing this mm-hmm. stuff, sitting in this room, talking to you. Like it's it's been an amazing, amazing, amazing journey with that. And like to think, I don't know, it's just, it's crazy. And I, mm-hmm. I, I just want to help other people like me and to understand that they're not alone in this and mm-hmm. that because there's so many people people like like me as well mm-hmm. um, there are and there's people there's people thinking all the things that you were thinking yeah before, which is crazy right and and what they might need to hear is just you talking about it yeah like it, and that's what we found from this is has been like so rewarding for darcy and i right is because we know that outside of those rooms that you and i are talking about people don't get these stories right yeah. they don't get to hear us talk about yeah. like the harshness of it but also the joy of recovery right like and it's it's amazing and i'll be honest i've been sober over 18 years and in the rooms and when i saw you take your birthday right yeah. if, I, if i can say that are you okay if i say yeah, that okay, cuz we can man. we can take it out if you don't like it but no you're okay with um that. i oh. it was i cried a little bit morgan like i cried because I, I never thought I would see it. And um, not just like a trans woman taking a milestone. I've never seen that. I'll tell you that honestly. It was the first time. And it made me feel amazing. Just amazing. And I'm queer. And like it's 100% um, you being you is essential to us. It's essential. It's not something that we appreciate. It's essential. Like, it's essential that I am me. It's essential that you are you and that everyone who carries um, a non-binary designation, whatever straight people call that shit, um, is like, that's opening the door wider, right? Because someone kicked it open, probably um, Stonewall back then, kicked the door open saying, hey, here we are, right? And now we get to just gently with love, right? Because all the love you show yourself is the love that you're giving to others, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I sorry I t- I took on a tangent there. No, I just that's a, that was beautiful. I'm so like I appreciate inspired. that. Yeah. Well, I, and I'm very vocal. I think about my transition mm-hmm. and about my recovery. Especially, it's taken time to get there. But yeah, in the rooms, like when it's relevant to what I'm sharing. Mm-hmm. I will say, talk about my transness, mm-hmm. and that's hard sometimes. Sometimes it feels like I'm coming out, even mm-hmm. though. It's, uh, some a lot of people know, but mm-hmm. it's like, and and the reason why is, is I want the hope is that someone else hears that right mm-hmm. and is like like they say like I I want to recover loudly so mm-hmm. so others don't die quietly and like in yeah. my in my outside of like the fellowships and stuff like that I'm very vocal about my recovery too mm-hmm. like at work like my everyone knows it they it's just like this thing that I mean like. If someone gets to know me within a, a, like a little mm-hmm. while, they're going to know I'm in recovery. Mm-hmm. If it comes up, it's just I talk about it and I don't ever try to hide it. And I think it's, it's for me, it's super important. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of life I want to live. I want to be loud and proud. And, and because I, I think because for so long, I haven't been. Yeah, and, so uh, many. Hey? Yeah. And it's been, it's cool. There's been like these really cool things I get to do that have been like really healing and affirming my gender and like lots of inner child work too mm. through. And, and therapy and stuff with like healing the like 
young girl in me. Mm. Because it's sometimes it's so easy to look at like as a young boy. But if mm -hmm. I talk, the way I talk even heals that piece. Mm -hmm. When I think about myself in the past, I use the proper pronouns mm -hmm. that I go by now. And I, I look at myself as a young girl. Yes, I might have looked like a young boy, but I was just a young girl then. Mm -hmm. And that's like healing this. And like different things like that heal it. That's and powerful and shit. another thing is within the indigenous community, mm. with ceremony, it's a very um, gendered kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Sweats, there's the woman's side, usually depends on the culture. Mm. Woman's side, men's side, there's protocols for different mm. things. And in the last month or two, I, I went to a sweat and I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna wear. Am mm. I gonna wear a skirt? Am I gonna be authentic? Or mm. am I gonna wear shorts and just do like I always have? Mm. And I went and I wore a skirt and I went and I talked to the, the elder and I was like, which side do you want me to sit on? Because mm -hmm. I wanted to be respectful as an outsider. I wanted to be respectful, but I also wanted to affirm myself. And mm -hmm. they were like, you sit where you're comfortable and mm -hmm. wanted me on the woman's side. And that's been, that was that first sweat I did wow. where I sat on the woman's side. Yeah. With, with all, all the women. <gasps> they, like, they, they were like, come sit with us. Yeah. And it was like so healing oh i just got so many goosebumps well and it was <laughs> and it was cool and actually at that lodge there was a two-spirit person there too yeah which was like okay i'm not the only one nah. i feel really glad that because yeah. they were asking to sit on the men's side yeah and and it's been really cool with that and so powerful <sighs> that sweat lodge i remember just like the thoughts i was having too and i was thinking all these big things yeah um, sweats are powerful anyway. They are, yeah, they are. You know? They're, they're, they've been this huge part of my yeah. healing and, and, and that. And I think part of it is, is just a huge part of the indigenous culture. As someone who's not indigenous, to me, it's such an authentic kind of culture. Mm -hmm. And it's one that's not like fake and exploitive and mm -hmm. all this stuff. And it's like built on authentic relationships with this mm -hmm. earth and like this, each other and, and this plane of existence. Mm -hmm. It's just all about. That, and I think that's what draws me to it. And that's mm. what draws me into ceremony. And it's been, that part's been super healing. And that's why I, I smudge daily and I mm. do all that stuff. Right on. And it's been really cool. But yeah, right the on. healing with those kind of things, just like giving myself these gender affirming experiences. Mm -hmm. Like even like when I said I went to that book club, mm -hmm. that's affirming myself because yeah. it was like hard to do these things or going to a woman's meeting or, or stuff like that. And it's, mm -hmm. it's been really cool. It's, uh. That's awesome. The most rewarding journey I've ever, I've ever yeah. had. Definitely worth it. Well, that was fan. That's fantastic. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? No, that's. A, I, I am imagining we're close to two hours, but I don't know yeah, what the time probably is. Probably pretty long. And I am so grateful that you didn't stop talking. I am so grateful, Morgan. I um, like to talk. I knew it was going to be long. Right, right on. I go into detail too. I appreciate that because you know sometimes we'll. Like we'll we'll share our stories in the rooms or whatever, and we'll take details out on purpose because they're not relevant to the room. Yeah, or, and usually it's yeah specific substances I don't mention and like this yeah. But here happened. it's it's important because there's people out there that don't know, they don't know how tortured a young trans woman is. Yeah. Well, how would we right? Like how how would anyone know how tortured I was being a queer kid unless I told them, right? Like and how the church tried to uh, wean that out of me or whatever you want to call it, right? And that's the stuff that people got to hear about, I think, you know. And we get to hear about it all the time, right? Yeah. Like, I get to go to a meeting and see you take a milestone and 
people are like, holy fuck, this world is it's not so bad. It's not so bad, right? Like and humanity restored a little bit. Yeah, big time, big time restored. Like more and more queer meetings in town, like all that stuff. Morgan, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It is our pleasure.